Welcome to the Hat Soil Health Podcast, a production of Hoosier Ag Today and the Indiana Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative, a program of the Indiana Conservation Partnership. In each episode, we spotlight the numerous efforts around Indiana by CCSI and its many partners to improve soil health on Indiana cropland. Today is part one of a conversation with two southwestern Indiana families who use regenerative agriculture practices on their farms. In this episode, they share their farm's stories as well as the effect of their farming strategies on soil health. Now, here's your host, Elise Koning. Welcome to the Hat Soil Health Podcast. We are recording live from the Knox County USDA Service Center, and it feels like a family gathering today because we have the Krugers and the Bittners here with us today on the podcast. Some of the uh, participants have been on the podcast before, and we've invited in their family members as well to talk about what that process of getting involved in regenerative agriculture and getting started on the soil health journey has been like. So everyone, welcome to the podcast. Uh, I wanna start out with the Bittners. Give a little introduction of who you are, where you're at, and what your operation is like with the regenerative ag space. Uh, my name is Pat Bittner, and our farm is in northwest Vandenberg County. It's about 250 acres with a, an additional 25 acres of woods. I'm fifth generation on the farm, and uh, we started practicing uh, full-blown regenerative agriculture about seven years ago. Okay, and we also have John Bittner with us. Yep, I'm John Bittner, Pat's dad, and uh, my uh, great-grandfather had moved to uh, Vandenberg County prior to uh, uh, 1884 because uh, he lived on some land that straddled Pond Flat Creek, and there was a uh, log cabin with a dirt floor, and apparently that didn't work out so well. So he moved, first built a uh, barn for the livestock on a hill, which is a half mile from either public road, so we have a long lane, and that's the Bittner home place now. So it's uh, been there about 140 years. We also have with us the Krugers, Aaron and Ronald. So let's start with Aaron. Go ahead and introduce yourself and how your work in ag is progressing this year. Yeah, so I'm uh, Aaron Kruger. I am the uh, fourth generation on our farm. We farm about 860 tillable acres currently of corn and soybeans in rotation. Uh, we've been using cover crops now on the entire farm for about this would be the fifth year. Uh, I myself have been dabbling with cover crops ever since 2015 when we originally started doing that on about 20 acres and we've built from there. And we also have with us Ronald Kruger. Yes, uh, I'm Ronald Kruger. And uh, as far as being interested in soil and water conservation, uh, my dad was very active in soil and water conservation when uh, at my young age, I, I grew up in Vandenberg County, but it was in 1963, about 60 years ago, that we relocated into Gibson County on the current farmstead that my grandson referred us to here. 
Um, and uh, immediately upon moving to Gibson County, why my dad got involved with salt and water conservation and we started doing uh, different kind of salt and water conservation practices uh, that I kind of refer to as mechanical practices. But uh, then my grandson started implementing the uh, newer technology and, and uh, all of that, which I kind of had to learn to accept, or I won't have to say had to learn. I was agreed with it because I could see the benefits of it. So uh, that's kind of the history there of us on, that, uh, on the farm that we're currently on here. So, Ronald, since you still have the mic, uh, tell us a little bit about what kind of livestock and crops you've grown now and in the past. In the past, on the current, well, on the farm that I grew up on, we had hogs, cattle, chickens, all of that, which was kind of common back in those days. Uh, just to give you a time frame there, I'm 84, so go back to the 50s and that when I was growing up on the farm in Vandenberg County. But then when we moved to Gibson County, we expanded our beef herd and uh, up until the late 90s, we ran a beef cow herd and also a small feedlot. And uh, in those days, why uh, there was crop rotation due to necessity, which was pretty common back in that days because when you've got cattle, why you need hay and straw and small grains and things of that nature. So we did a lot more rotation than we currently do today that we're out of livestock. But then as far as soil conservation practices, uh, immediately upon moving to the farm in Gibson County, why my dad started impl implementing what I call mechanical soil conservation projects such as drop boxes, pipe outlets, any place there was erosion created going into a main drainage ditch that runs through our farm. Why well, it got a box structure to help slow down the erosion. And uh, in 1968, we, had, we started building the first WASCOBs, or water and sediment control basins, uh, in Gibson County in 1968 was started that and currently the, the uh, uh, home farm and some of the rent farms that we have uh, we have wasps <laughs> everywhere that they are determined to be necessary and uh, also since as time has gone on we added filter strips and that along the ditches and uh, things of that nature and of course now more, more recently since my grandson has taken over, uh, we have gotten into the more biological of using no-till and cover crops. And of course as far as uh, give you a little history, you know, as I was growing up in my younger days, why the moldboard plow was popular. We got away from that. I can still remember uh, saw and water promoting they'd use pictures uh, where they would log chain moldboard plow, plows to uh, trees and things of that nature. But then we went through the phase of chisel plows and then rippers and things of that nature. But as time has gone on now, I'm seeing where 
we were burning a lot of fuel and really not improving soil health or for uh, soil permeate, uh, permeation uh, through all of the tillage practices that were taking place, but it was common practice. But uh, nowadays, why what I can see is uh, we're improving the soil health, the permeability of the soil, and and all of those uh, things by moving away from mechanical practices to the biological practices such as using no-till and cover crop and a little less fertilized and a little less chemical and things of that nature. So it sounds like you've had a lot of experience in a lot of different types of practices. And I want to turn to Aaron now and ask what the process has been like for you moving into those biological practices like the cover crops and working with your grandpa in that. Yeah, so as far as the process has been, I've kind of taken the stance. I started all this, you know, I essentially started my conservation journey uh, in a ditch in the summer of 2015. We were installing some uh, stabilization structures in the channel of the ditch, and uh, a good trusted friend and advisor, Gary Seibert, was uh, picking my ear about cover crops, and he intrigued my interest enough that that fall I planted my first cover crop of oats and radishes, and you know, it, it went fairly well. I, I began to see the benefits pretty early on. You know, when we first started all this, our main concern was soil erosion. And kind of where it's grown since that time, when I planted that first cover in 2015, as we've progressed to where now we're, we've kind of moved past just the soil erosion aspect. And we're looking at trying to diversify as far as, you know, implementing more different species of cover crops to diversify our rotation in that way to help diversify you know, our microbes and the soil biology and trying to build that soil health to better help our soil function in a more efficient way. And like I said, it's been a journey now. We're in year eight and each year we try something a little different on a small amount of acreage. And if it works well, we expand that to the whole farm and it's it's been a nice slow kind of transition from a more no-till, maybe even slightly conventional farm to now full-blown no-till, cover crops, planting green, using a roller crimper for helping to knock the cover down and terminate it and reducing you know, herbicides. We don't use any insecticide except what comes pre-treated on the corn in the bag, um, reducing the amount of fungicides we're using. And, you know, it's just been a real nice, slow transition, and we've worked real easily into all that. And another aspect of that slow transition is it's helped, hopefully, to wean my grandpa, you know, along the way, you know, since I haven't made any drastic changes overnight. So I want to ask more about the why in a little while, but I want to turn now to John and Pat and ask about your story. Let's start with John. And what did the farm start out with, and what gradually occurred over the change, um, over the passage of time? Well, on our present farm, it was a, my dad had a typical farm, as uh, Mr. Kruger demonstrated there, uh, uh, had a few hogs and mostly dairy cattle and chickens, 
and so uh, with that you would have a rotation of crops. You'd have hay and uh, wheat and then sometimes uh, clover in that wheat uh, interceded and then if you uh, put corn in after that and I guess in about 1972 we finally um, bought a, a AC no-till drill especially for uh, second crop beans. Um, <laughs> that was an exciting drill because it had the flat drive chains and they'd jump off occasionally so we'd jump out of the tractor after a few rounds and check and see if all the seed boxes were um, draining as quickly. If not, you'd lost the chain. Uh, then, then we uh, bought a John Deere um, planter that uh, had roller chains on, which was a big improvement, but uh, I never used uh, uh, cover crops and, and drilled gr into them green. Uh, my, my dad always had cover crops, but we, he called it green manure and he would, we would plow it under and uh, sometimes when that balboa rye, which would grow uh, oh, four or five feet tall if it got away from you, and uh, that was hard to plow under as a green manure crop. Uh, you'd always let your older brother or somebody do the final land because that rye could plug a plow like you wouldn't believe. Uh, so it's, it's been a learning experience, but Dad was always uh, very conscious of uh, soil erosion and he uh, put in gradient terraces, that is, they just flowed along the side of the hill. And about, I guess, 1960s, they came up with the idea of tile outlet terraces, and so we reworked those. Um, and we have some are the steep backslopes because uh, a neighboring farm that we bought uh, had a very uh, steep hill and the gradient terraces wouldn't work or tile outlet terraces that you could uh, easily farm over uh, wouldn't work so we have some real steep back slopes on some of those terraces and uh, Patrick has left uh, some of the back slopes that is uh, the back side of the channel uh, has left that in um, um, floral sources for pollinators and uh, that has been real interesting because of the number of birds we see now and increased insects and uh, we, we too are trying to get away from uh, so much use of chemicals. Um, I think erosion uh, is respect for the land. If you uh, think of future generations and realize how precious that topsoil is and what a nuisance you are if you leave that topsoil, leave the farm along with the chemicals and pesticides and dump that into people's fresh water streams that they get their drinking water out of. So I, I think it's uh, the responsible thing to do and hopefully our future generations will look back at a farm that we hope we leave in better shape than we got it. So uh, I like what Patrick's doing with his uh, cover crops, uh, drilling into uh, what I would say a hay field. Uh, this year I crimped uh, the uh, cover crop for him and uh, that was uh, oh chest high 
and had quite a bit of uh, hairy vetch in it and it was like driving through a blanket. <laughs> and uh, now we had a rain in Vandenberg County, we had a, uh, as much as six inches rain last night, it came very quickly. And we still had, it wasn't on our farm that we didn't get six inches, but uh, the water relieving that field that is clear and just drive uh, within a few feet of our farm that's conventionally tilled and it's just a slurry of topsoil and water and that's rewarding to me that we can do that. Yeah, we had a huge storm up where we live as well and it came through so quickly you hardly had time to react. Pat, I want to ask you about that with some of the dry weather that we've had and then all of the sudden we have rains and storms. How has your farm been able to withstand that and maintain its good shape? Um, and what's the process been like to get to this point? So with the, the recent rains, I think the first round of rain that came yesterday, we got an inch in, in an hour. And that seems to be uh, what we get in the last few years is rain events versus nice rains like we used to get when I was younger. and. Uh, it's like dad said it's uh, it's feels pretty good when people say well how much range you get and with the cover crops and increased infiltration capabilities and that we can say every time we got it all (laughs) Um, and and we've noticed that you know our our soil uh, keeping it covered armored with the cover crops and that that uh, when it starts getting dry the crops you'll notice stay green longer and the corn doesn't curl as quick as some of the conventional tilled neighbors and stuff like that and uh, obviously the less stress on any cash crops the better so we've we've uh, liked that and the increase in the uh, in the wildlife uh, insects birds um, and mammals and I mean just any all kinds of wildlife has increased dramatically in fact um, the last two or three years uh, we've got some bald eagles that are hanging around that we've never had so it's it's pretty cool watching them work and stuff and uh, I guess my journey was a little bit different than Aaron's getting into regenerative ag Um, on a farm our size uh, growing up dad encouraged all of us kids to go to college and and you know find an off-farm job because it was 250 acres right and so I went and got a finance degree and uh, did a couple of different things, a stockbroker for a while, and then got into IT most of my adult life. And I guess about eight, nine years ago, I was helping dad and we still had a plow at that time uh, for our bottoms because you had to turn the uh, corn stubble under so it didn't flood and, or when it flooded, it didn't uh, drift in that. and. Uh, Dad asked, said, you know, if you're wanting to do something with this farm, it's about time you step up. Of course, I've got a busted knuckle already, and I'm looking up at him like, what are you talking about? I've only been asking for the last 10 years, what's the plan? <laughs> but uh, so that, that actually that fall, it was 2016, a friend of mine asked me to go to the National No-Till Conference. And I went up, you know, it's in January, so why not? There's nothing else going on went up to Indianapolis to the National No-Till and start listening to these guys talk and going up there I'm thinking you know no-till is okay for our hills dad's been doing that for years but 
bottoms, you gotta, you gotta till those because you gotta aerate the ground, right? And uh, <clears throat> got up there and about the third day in, I called dad and I said, hey, the plow, the ripper, the disc, sell it all. All we need is a tractor and a planter. And my dad's response was, and we do have a good relationship, <laughs> but he's got a dry sense of humor. And he said, well, it's good one of us stayed home and grounded. <laughs> so I got back home and I, I have a tendency to dive in the deep end. I had a day job in IT. Dad's collecting social security and has a good retirement put back. And I keep pushing saying, you know, hey, I wanna plant a cover crop on the whole farm. It's only 250 acres, right? So that's a test plot for Aaron. And, uh, and so that fall we put out uh, annual, our cereal rye on the whole farm. It was an early fall, um, probably the earliest we've gotten our cover crops out ever. And they were probably six to eight inches tall before going in dormancy. And that spring we had a 10 inch rain event in an hour. And we have both hills and bottoms um, and after that rain event, Dad noticed we had almost zero washing. No, you know, ter no uh, gullies or anything. And he, he told me, he said, you're either really smart or lucky. And I said, well, that's yet to be determined. <laughs> and, and, you know, he also supported me by telling me that uh, he was going out to the shed to uh, paint a sign. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he goes, well, if this cover crop stuff works, the sign will stay in the shed and he'll take credit for it, being the bleeding edge in the neighborhood of doing cover crops. But if it doesn't work, he'll put it down at the end of the half mile lane on the road under new management. <laughs> so anyway, um, we've been doing it since 20, the, I guess the fall of 2017. Uh, we went from a, a single monochrome monoculture cover crop to uh, a three-way the next year and ever since have been doing eight to twelve ways and our third year we we planted green and I've been told that's pretty aggressive and I think it's because you know if we had a failure it wasn't it wasn't going to put me out of business and it wasn't going to put dad in a bind and we weren't going to lose the farm over you know one year because we both had other incomes in that, but um, so far, uh, I can't say that we've had a failure. We've had some challenges here and there, but never a crop failure. And uh, so dad tells me, you know you have to fail in this some point. And so every year I tell him I'll try harder. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, it, it's been a, uh, a lot of fun. And it's, uh, as Gabe Brown says, it's uh, a lot more fun nurturing and growing things than it is waking up and deciding what you got to kill that day. And we've seen a lot of benefits from it. So John, I'd like to hear your point of view now and hear about what your thoughts were when Pat said, I want to put all these cover crops in, what it was like before that spring rain and then after when you saw that water coming off of the farm. Well, <clears throat> having grown up with a respect for the soil from my father. Uh, I was pleased that Pat was getting into some kind of soil conservation and not just harvesting what he could from the farm and, and leaving, taking what he could and, and not contributing anything to it. 
Uh, we, we recently uh, dug a tile trench, a dedicated line to uh, a, the, to a uh, tile outlet terraces, uh, and so that was 750 feet long, about four foot deep, and the soil profile looked a little bit like cottage cheese and that it was a little, it was modulated, and that was very dramatic and very uh, um, interesting for me. We had a, a fellow that does uh, custom uh, laying a field tile that uh, saw that and he said, man, that's some soil. So uh, the percolation of water and uh, preserving that land is, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. Uh, I guess that's why I'm on the podcast with him. Uh, this is not my, <laughs> I'm not an actor. <laughs> so, or a public speaker, but uh, no, that's very uh, rewarding, I think, that uh, hopefully that forum will be productive for many years. You're listening to the Hat Soil Health Podcast, brought to you by the Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative, with Vanderburg County Farmers Pat Bittner and his father John Bittner, and Gibson County Farmers Aaron Kruger and his grandpa Ronald Kruger. Now that productivity is what we're aiming for too, right? So I want to ask Aaron about his experiences getting started in the regenerative agriculture and think about it from the productivity side. What kinds of results did you see from it that made you want to keep going? Well, I'll say uh, the results that kept me going was we really never experienced much of a yield drag. Um, So we were still maintaining the yields which we had before, but now we had less erosion. Uh, And that's the way it was when we first began. And now we're getting to the point where I actually think we're past where they might call it that lag phase. Uh, Since most of the farm now has had a cover for five years, we're actually starting to see the yields increase. Uh, even while using less fertilizer and less, you know, herbicides, fungicides, all the chemicals and that. Um, due to the fact that we're allowing that soil to function at a higher capacity and we're holding more water so we can survive those drought periods for longer and keep that plant happier and healthier and you know we're we're seeing very good results with that. And especially this year when we've got so much of Indiana under drought conditions that's been really important for you over the growing season. Yes it has and even up until we got 2.7 inches yesterday at the farm, uh, we still had tile that was, it was just barely trickling, but it was still, it was still running. Um, the corn is, it was still rolling up, you know, kind of mid-afternoon to the evening, but even <coughs> you wake up the next morning, drive by the field, and it, it, it was still growing. So I know we were still holding on to plenty of moisture to at least allow that crop to still grow and function mostly as it should even while we well up until yesterday our corn crop planted in the third week of may had only had an inch of rain on it and that inch of rain came almost a month after it was planted so ronald when aaron started talking about some of these ideas about regenerative agriculture talking about soil health what were your thoughts what were your reactions to that well i was a little skeptical, I guess you might say, but also uh, being involved in salt and water and, and things of that nature and uh, familiar with different people that were 
kind of getting into this. Uh, I had an interest in it and was open to him trying and, and it didn't take long for me to see the benefits uh, that came of it. And of course, in my case here, there's a two generation gap uh, between myself and Aaron. And uh, when this all started, I had some other people that are involved in the no-till and, and cover crop practice. And, and of course, the kind of the latest thing here is the planting green, which does make you think a couple of times before you accept it, but uh, it's working. But a comment that was made to me one time that it's really glad to see some one of the younger generation be interested in something other than blowing black smoke and big iron. And uh, that's what he was referring to there, someone that uh, interested in conserving the soil of the younger gener generation, which kind of, I think it's been in our family background for quite some time, starting out with my dad and continuing with uh, myself and uh, then our son and Aaron's dad. Uh, but uh, Aaron, how carrying on as he is, uh, I'm happy to see it taking place and it is working. I do still run the combine a lot and let's put it this way, it's, it's to a point where uh, we're growing as good a crops as we were before. Uh, we switched to the regenerative type agriculture and uh, of course one thing he's mentioned we're saving on the chemical fertilizers and we're saving fuel. Uh, one of the big things that we're learning is we don't need to use all the insecticides if you uh, are working with, with regenerative type agriculture. Uh, one of the early experiences was uh, problems with slugs in planting soybeans and uh, we were advised to leave the insecticide off of the soybean seed so that the friendly insects would not be killed by the insecticide and live to live off of the ones that were eating the soybean seed, if you understand what I'm saying. So, and uh, uh, as uh, the Bittners mentioned, you're seeing a lot of natural wildlife. That is one of the negatives to uh, growing these heavy cover crop. Sometimes you accidentally, without knowing it, will run over a species of wildlife that didn't get out of the way, but you didn't see them. But anyway, uh, that is a negative, I, I feel, but I'm glad to see the increased. And uh, uh, Aaron currently has one landlord that uh, manages a wildlife refuge, and he's making the comments that he's never seen so many of the birds that uh, he hadn't seen on his farm for quite a while, and uh, he really likes to see that. Uh, and that's good to hear from a landlord that you're satisfying them because sometimes uh, that's that's a big issue. And uh, you know, when you're renting property. Uh, so anyway, that's about all I have to say at this point in time. So you talked a about a lot of benefits of regenerative ag, and I want to ask um, each of you, what are some of the benefits that 
you've been seeing on your land? Let's start with Aaron. It's kind of some of the main benefits that we see. Some of them have been you know, repeated several times, but definitely the increase of just biological life, whether that be underground with the earthworms or on top of the ground with the beetles or even when I'm planting now, I see all kinds of bees that are angry because I just ran through their cover crop and a lot of butterflies, and that's just something you're not, you're not going to see with even just straight no-till, and especially not in conventional. Um, then the other thing, you know, yesterday afternoon we had 1.6 inches of rain on one spell in about an hour, and I went out and drove around. The ditch was muddy as all could be that runs through our farm that takes quite a bit of our watershed and then also the neighbors on up their watershed. And it was romping through the one structure we have, an old cattle crossing that we built some time ago and brown. And then you go over and look at some of the surface water coming off our field and it was, you know, not, it wasn't a trickle, but it really wasn't, the velocity of it wasn't very fast coming off and it was crystal clear. Um, and that, that makes you feel really good because that way you, you know that maybe it's not 100% pure, but it's, there's not much that can be in it because it is pretty clear. Um, and those are a lot of the benefits which I'm seeing. Pat, what are you seeing on your place? The same things that Aaron's talking about. Uh, you know, we, we go out there and we see earthworms everywhere, uh, a ton more insects, um, the water infiltration, how much less water is running off our fields, but it's going down through the, the soil like it should be. Uh, so we're fixing the water cycle. Um, the soil aggregation that my dad mentioned, you know, we're probably at, I would say, four to six inches across the whole farm now that we've got really good aggregation. And uh, we haven't used any fungicides or pesticides for the last six years, and we're using a lot less herbicides. Uh, we're finding that with our crimper, it's kind of a biomass indicator. If we get enough biomass out there, it crimps better. And uh, when you get that heavy biomass, uh, this year we did away with the burn down pass of the herbicides. Um, and with that burn down, we were typically putting in a, a residual pre-emergence. So technically we did away with two passes and only did a post. And I think that um, because of that, next year we'll see a, another increase in our soil health because of one less, you know, two less passes of a, of a toxic chemical. Um, we've been uh, planting uh, soybeans with no seed treatment uh, for over seven years now. And uh, last year I, I did about three bags of corn with no treatment. And unless I pointed out the rows to you, you had never known which one was which. So this year, uh, as usual, I dove in the deep end and we all of our corn was untreated. And other than it being exceptionally dry, uh, it came up, we're real happy with it. I'll continue to do that. So we've been been real happy with everything that we're seeing there and keeping that soil armored. And I guess today we're following five of the six soil health practices. Um, I'm in the planning stages of implementing the sixth one, which is integrating livestock, bringing that back to our farm. But uh, so yeah, it's and like Aaron said, um, 
we haven't really seen a yield drag, and I think that's the unique thing about regenerative agriculture. It, it's new from the standpoint of what we're doing, but that's because we're now learning how the soil functions, something that we knew more about the moon than we did the soil we walk on. And now that's changing rapidly. And so, um, you know, going down this path, you can start doing regenerative practices like cover crops, keeping a living root in that soil as close to 365 as possible without changing the rest of your system initially. So you can still do the spraying the way you were, you can still apply fertilizer the way you were. All you're doing is adding a cover crop so that that ground doesn't sit fallow the majority of the time. And, and then as you get comfortable and you're moving into the process, you can start cutting down on the other things. A lot of systems don't allow you to do that. It's an all or none of regenerative. You can ease into it at whatever pace you're comfortable. And at the same time, increasing your soil health. So uh, I guess the neat thing that, that all of us are seeing is, is instead of losing soil to erosion, we're actually building soil now. And our organic matter is increasing in that. And you know whether you believe in regenerative ag or you're conventional, one thing all farmers will agree on is that the more organic matter you have, the better the soil is. And so the only way I know to do that is farming-wise is using regenerative ag practices. And John, what have you been seeing as far as benefits? Well, I found a uh, interesting comment from a parts man at a local Case International dealer. I had uh, crimped Pat's cover crop and uh, he drove by and he uh, said, when you bale that hay, I want part of it. He thought we had mowed it and let it lay there to cure, but it was just, it was a heavy enough crop that it just laid down just beautifully and then he drilled into that. And when you drill into a cover crop like that, it's a mulch, uh, just that your plant can come through and your plant is mulched just the same as you'd mulch uh, grass seed when you try to start a lawn. Uh, now I'm not as old as Mr. Kruger. I mean, he's the elder here and I'm 82 and he's 84. <laughs> uh, but at this stage of my life, I kind of like to think I've been a contributing member of society and not a darn nuisance. And I think if I would have uh, allowed a lot of erosion or if I encouraged just taking from the farm and uh, not worrying about future generations, you're, you're a taker and more of a nuisance polluting uh, our freshwater streams which I think uh, there's more people needing pure drinking water than there are farmers. And I think someday that will be uh, reflected in our ag um, programs that the federal government is, uh, uh, is administrating. I think there'll be more incentives for people to take care of their soil. I think we'll, we'll wake up and realize that if a, uh, a person that has a, a wants to clear the rule five is what I'm referring to. Uh, if someone wants to uh, clear five acres or disturb that soil, he has to have an erosion plan if he's in construction. And yet I can hop on a tractor and disturb five acres very quickly and no one says anything about it. And I think that's, uh, that needs to change. Uh, 
And Patrick says he wants to go back to uh, pasture protein. He's just going back to what Dad was doing. Uh, livestock, producing uh, forage crops for him, hay, and you're into a rotation. Um, that was really a selling meat and milk off of that farm until um, I had a back injury. Uh, was really, a, I think, um, probably the best way to handle the land because we have um, some, some very steep hills that we have to take care of. And uh, with uh, that rotation and with livestock, that probably, if we can go back to that, it's, uh, <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Uh, being modern and now put it in reverse and going back what dad did, you know? <laughs> We've covered a lot of ground in this episode from the family stories to details about practices that have helped their land. This conversation continues in part two, where we discuss challenges the Bittners and Krugers have faced and hear their tips for succeeding in regenerative agriculture. So don't miss it. It's another great episode full of invaluable insight. See you in part two. For Who's Your Ag Today, I'm Elise Koning. This episode of the Who's Your Ag Today Soil Health Podcast has been brought to you by the Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative. You can learn more about their efforts and see a schedule of events at ccsin.org. Thanks for joining us, and until next time, create your riches below the surface with healthy soils.